today I'm very excited because this is going to be a different type of season where I'm going to be sharing with you my story of who I am. You're going to learn a little bit more about my childhood. You're going to learn a little bit more about why I became a career coach. A lot of you reach out to me and ask me why I left a 15-year career behind. A lot of you reach out to me wondering how I figured out what my own definition of fulfillment is. So this is going to be part one of a mini series, three-part series, actually. And today, as I mentioned on my LinkedIn and posted, it's really going to be about my childhood because I truly believe after working with so many people that it all starts with our childhood in terms of our decision-making, in terms of our fears and what holds us back. And I also talked about boundaries. So this is going to be the topic today, how your childhood trauma or the events in your childhood shape your career decisions and either help you achieve success or can hold you back. And today I have an amazing person with me here, Layla. Layla, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Layla is going to be facilitating the conversation and helping me with telling you more about myself and my story. Well, thank you so much for that, Nada. You know, I'm so glad to be here. For one, I love aligning myself with courageous, innovative women such as yourself. And second, this is a topic that I have covered quite a bit myself as a journalist, particularly as we kind of enter this new age of employment, empowerment, doing what fulfills us spiritually, of course, financially. I took a very interesting path in life. I wanted to be a ballerina once upon a time, but my life took a different turn. So I started to pursue journalism and I've been doing that now for the last 20 years, but it also was a path that it had different facets to it. And I had to take these very scary leaps. And then the most scary of all, I think was when I left behind a pretty decent salary to move to a completely other state on a completely different coast to wow. kind of start all over again and pursue a dream. So I, I, I totally hear you when, when you say that you just kind of leave so much that you've built behind to pursue new things. And your story is just so fascinating. You've done that, I think, to an extent that most of us probably wouldn't have the courage to do. So I'm so interested in learning more about your journey, Nada. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to write about it. <laughs> it's another thing to talk about it. And I think the first time that I talked about it was when I was at the International Women's Day at one of the big banks and I did a talk there. And I remember how I could almost relive, you know, all of the events. But what I'll say is, and I think a lot of you have seen my post on my featured section, I have a pretty difficult childhood. I grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in a what I'll call a dysfunctional family. My father was an alcoholic. My mom was a very hardworking person. She was, in my eyes, she was like the Michelle Obama, you know, um, very charismatic and amazing business owner. My father was on the opposite side. He was more of an introvert. He was extremely intelligent. But he had a very difficult childhood as well. And I think when that happens, it creates almost this vicious cycle. And mm -hmm. so growing up, I had to deal with unpredictable days, unpredictable days where I have no idea when my father's next outburst is going to be. 
And I also had to deal with an unconventional childhood, I'll say. Because of the situation at home, I was at times embarrassed to invite friends that I would make at school over. And so I felt like I lived in a very isolated childhood. In fact, (laughs) how I spent my childhood was escaping. Mm. And I often escaped studying. And it it got to the point where it was so bad that I would adjust my hours so that when my father was sleeping, I'd be awake studying. And when he's awake, I'd be sleeping because Mm. I just wanted to avoid the whole situation. And so a lot of that unfortunately, created so much trauma for me that I didn't even fully comprehend until maybe, I will say, a few years ago. Things that impacted my ability to stand up for myself, things that affected my ability to set boundaries, it all stemmed from that childhood. In a way, I don't regret it because when people come to me, I'm in a position where there's nothing for me to judge here because I've seen a lot It also helps me empathize with all my clients and notice some of these patterns. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say the way in which you dealt with your father's alcoholism and his outbursts, and you had to completely change around your, your schedule, your clock, as it were, in order to avoid those confrontations, um, here you're escaping a situation rather than confronting it head on. But of course, he's your father. So he is someone who's in a position of of power. He's an adult. He's your father. When would you say that as you move through life, as you got older, that you started finding that you could stand up for yourself? Because I think a lot of people, they never learn that. And and it's something that's so deep-seated within their, their psyche and who they are that they never know quite how to break through that. And then they they lash out in other ways through self-destruction. So, so when was that for you? And how did you do that? Yeah, my goodness. I mean, you're so right. Because when you're a child and you're in a position where you lack authority, and it's so interesting that I say this because it's it's parallel to what happens in the workplace, right? When you're an employee and you're not in a position of authority and you're dealing with toxicity, you feel helpless and you're worried that if you speak up, you can get punished. Mm-hmm. And there were moments when I spoke up and gosh, I mean, I remember when I was maybe... I'll say 17 years old. My father was, you know, upstairs and he was calling my sister to come up and she didn't hear him. And so he went into his rage and outbursts and he punished her basically for not hearing him, even though it was, she wasn't doing it intentionally. And me seeing that and me seeing how my father was yelling at a nine-year-old who was a child, who was helpless, it just did something inside me where I'm just like, enough is enough. And I just confronted him. And I remember my mom, after the fact, was telling me, how can you do that? You could have gotten hurt, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't care. I decided to stand up for him in my 17-year-old teenage Mm. hormonal, (laughs) non-logical way. Out-of-body experience. Out-of-body experience. I felt like I was this little mouse confronting this big bear. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, you can't, I was just like outright like to him, you can't talk to her like that. I don't ever want you to talk to her this way. And I remember he lashed out on me and he basically threw a can of car oil at me and, and missed. I, I just ran away. There were these pockets of moments where, where I'm obedient and I'm, I say, oh, you, you can't do that because if you do, you're going to get punished. Yeah. But then there were these little small situations in my childhood where I wouldn't even think about my own safety because I was so infuriated by mm-hmm. the injustice. I think the big pivotal moment for me, which was, which I was building up to, mm-hmm. was actually leaving leaving my country. I was not able to do that because I was the, un- the uh, under the age of 18. And I remember very, very close to the end, minutes, you know, days, my dad and I would get into these fights where he would with- withhold my passport, knowing that I had all of my hopes and dreams into leaving and bettering my life and getting my education. And I used to journal as a child about how one day I'm going to be free and one day I'm going to escape. And one day I'm going to be in a country where women would be treated equally, where women can't be forced into either a marriage with their husband or be under the roof with their father and get their permission to do important things in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. Such as travel. Um. So I think the beginning of that was when I left. Mm -hmm. You always had a fire inside of you, it sounds like. You know, the the guts that it took to stand up to your father when you actually did means that there was always a flame that was just waiting to be brought out. How did you manage to arrange your escape? if you will. So, so when you decided, you know, this is it, I have to leave. First of all, I'm curious as to how old you were at that time and how long did it take you to get all your ducks in order to then make that leap? Because it sounds like you you had open conversations. If your father was withholding your passport, there was conversation that one day you would be out of the house. I honestly feel that every person needs a rock in their life and it's not possible to escape, so be it, or, or have hope, let's say, unless you have that rock. My mom got into the relationship with my father out of lack of choice because she was in a family where it was very conservative and she saw my father as also an escape and freedom and better option. But sadly, it wasn't a better option. And so she was aware the entire time that I could have a better life. Mm -hmm. And she was always supportive of me. She invested in my education. I went to a private school in order for me to speak English very well and be bilingual. My, the two languages that I know are Arabic and English. And the reason I speak English so well is because my mom invested in me to go to this private school to the point where we were buying clothes from the thrift store in order for us to go into the private school because my mom knew that was my ticket out. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's pretty profound because in the somewhat cursory knowledge that I have of those cultures, you know, the, 
the mother, the women in the family, they follow suit. They follow whatever traditions have been put in place. And they never go against the grain of that tradition or against what their husbands or other men have to say in the family. So she she saw herself, I think, in in you as well. You 100%. know, she, right? So so she she saw what oppression looks like, and she knew she wanted something better for her daughter. And so by putting all of those sacrifices in place and and making sure that you got the education that you needed to realize a life beyond your your upbringing um, is truly profound and and incredibly courageous as well. So I think it sounds like you get a lot of your courage from your mom. Absolutely. You're right when you say that my mom, in a way, she has lived through me. And she says this to me to this day when we talk and we chat. She says, my goodness, I know that I'm strong and I've been through a lot, but I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you are able to be in a different country by yourself without a single immediate family member or even relative for that matter. But yes, my mom, even though she was raised in a very religious family, I do get the fire from her to be unconventional and go against the grain. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And you're carrying on her legacy. It's an it's a new age, you know, for a lot of women. And the fact that that you were able to go to a private school and to build all those tools. I, I wanted to go back for just a moment because when you were saying that your escape was through your studies in a society where there's probably very little and also in in a time, you know, we live in a very different age now than when both of us grew up and and were uh coming up in the world, but uh, in a society where there isn't a whole lot of distraction with social media and things like that, your escape was through studies. It was through really something that was very constructive. What would your advice be for someone who maybe has children today or, or a young person who's watching this, who's listening to this podcast to pour their energy into something that is actually constructive that will help to build their character and sustain them in this world and to not get caught up in just empty distraction. I'm grateful that my distraction wasn't drugs or alcohol, but I also want to caution people because any distraction can be unhealthy. I think when I adopted that distraction of studying and working hard and defining my success by how hard I worked and that I'm a good person if I worked hard, I paid a lot for that because it's that avoidance and distraction is what kept me in a career that I didn't absolutely love for 15 years. Mm. It came all the way from my childhood. I was used to escaping and not confronting the root cause of what is taking me on this path. And frankly, I didn't even understand the meaning of having fun because, as I mentioned, I lived a childhood where I was quite isolated from other kids. Uh, I could not relate to them. I went into a rich school. I wasn't invited to birthday parties because I was from a different social class. 
And even then, the couple of friends or the couple of people that saw me beyond the socioeconomic status, Mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed to invite them because of my father, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. lashing out. And so when you ask me, what do I advise people in general and their kids to cope with these situations, if they should have some kind of distraction or something constructive, I'll say is you need to have a a good balance because this is the parallel. Because of what was going on at home, my mom was putting a lot of emphasis on school and academics. Uh uh And that manifested in me. And if I don't get get good grades, if I don't get all these credentials, if I don't get these certifications, I'm a failure. And it cost me because I wasn't focused on learning how to build relationships with people early on in my life. And you know what? In the workplace, if you don't know how to build relationships with people and you're too introverted and you're too shy to talk to people and ask for help, It's going to be very difficult for you to move up the ladder. Mm -hmm. And so my advice is let your kids experience life. Their success is not defined by how good their grades are. There are so many successful people who didn't even finish school Mm -hmm. um, and let them tap and experiment with things and, and, and feel things so that they know what they enjoy and what they don't instead of being numb. Yeah. Yeah. We're hearing that a lot these days because of also the cost of going to college is very prohibitive for many people. And, you know, sometimes when you think that's your only path, either you get discouraged and you don't go or you, you ignore some of these other opportunities, these other options of, going to a trade school, learning something that you might actually have a passion for and be good at. I think we're also kind of seeing a shift these days as well. But but you had mentioned that um, your clientele, which many of them have an immigrant background, that they're always trying to prove themselves. So it kind of comes up from that childhood experience of always striving to be the best, get the best grades, like you say, getting all the credentials that you can possibly get. And then once you come to the new, a new country, into a new society, that never leaves you. So you're always doing that. And how, how would you say that either that was a hindrance for you as you pursued a career and, and how may it have helped or did it help? I think it's a double-edged sword. I think statistically speaking, in order to immigrate, you have to be at the top 5% or 10% in your own society. This is why there is a scoring system because countries will tend to favor people who are more far along than others in order to let them into the country. There needs to be some kind of benefit that immigrants need to bring in for them to be allowed in unless, you know, they fit another class like refugee status or other types of categories. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're already put into this position where you have to prove yourself in order to be accepted, you get into this mode where it can turn into an obsession almost where it's always like, what's the next thing I need to do? What's the next thing? You feel like you're not enough because of that. And that is not a healthy way to live. When it gets to the point where it turns into an obsession, 
I mean, you end up doing it for other people instead of yourself. And it really should be for yourself. You got to just do things because you're happy, not because you want to please others or you want to get a certain status or you want people to see that you're making six figures or to see that you have a particular title. What is the point of waking up in the morning with a six-figure salary if you're miserable inside? And I'll tell you something, that's the position that I was. When I get to, got to the point where I was on a $1 billion project, that was my dream. I wanted to be on a $1 billion project, and I wanted to be the lead of the entire program. Wow. And I achieved that. I achieved that. Incredible. And I was, you know, in Minnesota, looking outside of the window of my hotel room, and I felt empty. I said, great. I got that. I got the six-figure salary, but I hate everything I do. Wow. Wow. So how did you get through that? Because it, you are achieving things that you wanted, but then to feel like, you know, it just is meaningless. That, that must have been a, a huge um, blow to the gut to have that feeling. It was. So, and so what did you do to get over that? And, and from that day forward, what was your intention? What I did was, in a strange way, the same thing I did that got, to, got me to where I was. I tapped into that fire and the strength of leaving a situation and going against the grain. Everyone out there wants the same things of making a ton of money and having the status. And I said, for once, I'm going to do something different mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, none of this matters. And so eventually that led to me quitting over text. Not mm -hmm. that I recommend that. Wow. <laughs> but that is the best <laughs> I could friends. do. <laughs> that, that's the best I could do with, with the tools I had and the support I had. I quit over text. And this is why I'm so passionate about working with people who are burnt out or frustrated with their career or have spent so many years in a career because I never wanted to get to that point that I got where I had to quit over text. You know, let, let me ask you this though. So when you're sitting in your hotel room and you're leading this billion dollar project, you're making the six figure salary. Was there any way to fan the flame to keep you going? It, it, how, how did you get yourself through, you know, just to find that kernel of, of, of satisfaction in your work? I mean, there were pockets where, of course, otherwise I'd go insane, where I enjoyed what I did. I tried to tap into the things that I love doing the most, like running discoveries for clients. And I've always enjoyed that and solving problems, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. And I also tried <laughs> using the luxurious amenities in the hotel, like <laughs> swimming every morning. Yeah. <laughs> so many laps. But none of that was enough. Wow. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. I tried so hard. Um, and I had so many conversations. And, yeah. you know, I just realized that it was no one's fault that I had to take responsibility. It wasn't the company. 
It wasn't the people around me. People tend to blame others for the situation they're in. And the reality is it's our choice to stay or leave. If you are not comfortable with the situation, if you don't enjoy what you do, um, we have a tendency to blame others, but really you can just walk away and find a fit. And there's nothing wrong with saying that you're a great person. I'm a great person. We just don't belong together. Right. This applies to personal relationships, and this also applies to the workplace. And I think when I came to terms with that, that is when I started looking for the answers and getting that fulfillment. Yeah. But it was a journey. It wasn't like a one-day thing. Sure. And and I was going to ask you, did you um, finish this project before you sent that? Oh, God, No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I could not. I could not. I could not. I remember I was traveling. I was taking a 6 a.m. flight every Monday. And I was back Friday night in the evening. And I would have to drive and pick up my dog from the doggy daycare. And then literally spend a day and a half just doing laundry and relaxing. and, And then just packing my stuff. And that was like on repeat for, I can't even remember if it was three months probably. And I remember, Mm. I think it was, could have been Monday morning. I decided to change my schedule and fly in Monday morning. And I texted my boss and I said, I was like sitting with my dog and thinking, oh my God, I don't want to leave him. And I just texted my boss and I said, I'm calling in sick. I can't do this. Oh boy. What was the response? I have to ask. It wasn't pretty, but I managed. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so, so was that the same text that you basically said, I'm signing off and I'm done? No. I mean, oh. that was, that was on the, the path there. I mean, I oh. tried. People think when they read my story of how I quit over text that it was just this spontaneous thing and I didn't even try and I, and I just quit. But I tried. You know, I tried to have conversations. I asked to not travel. I tried to work it out. But at the end of the day, I also felt like I was not being fair to the organization because, again, with any relationship, People tend to get mad when their needs are being are not being met. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, like, you just have to find someone who will meet your needs and will feel like their needs are being met by what you're offering. You know, I, mean, I, to be honest, I though, it sounds like they weren't being very fair with you. I mean, you know, you know I, I, in a way, I signed up for this because that is the nature of consulting. And before the pandemic, we had to travel to client sites. And I knew that they had clients all over the world Mm -hmm. and in the US. And some people love the travel. But I think I was just done. You know, I was just done. And I didn't know what it is that I loved anymore. And I was just going on autopilot because I was so terrified of leaving the six figure salary and not knowing what other options. I honestly felt trapped. And in a metaphorical way, it's all the childhood trauma of being in a position where I felt trapped mm-hmm. and I had no choices and I couldn't stand up for myself. 
it was almost in my subconscious. Like I wasn't allowed to say that this was not the job for me. I wasn't allowed to say that I didn't want to travel. And I bottled it up for so long to the point that it just became very difficult. Your subconscious can be the biggest prison. You know, you, you, whatever experiences or trauma that have developed this deep seated belief system can hold people back sometimes forever if they don't realize it, they can't wake up one day and realize that there is another choice. And, and here you are, you're just, you're killing it in your career, making six figures and, and traveling and doing a lot of the things that many people would love the opportunity to do. But the fact that it was unfulfilling to you is really what's important here. But it it's almost like it occurs to you, wait a second, I'm an adult. I'm not a child anymore. I can actually make my own choices. I can choose to go in another direction. You see people who live this quote unquote freedom lifestyle. And if it's buying a van, selling all their possessions and traveling the earth, if that's what they want to do, they'll do it. And and we're hearing those stories more and more where people will just throw caution to the wind and, and make it happen. But it's that having to leave those those certain things behind and all the things that you worked for too, that's sometimes a challenge to reconcile. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, the biggest takeaway out of this that I'd love to tell people is it all starts with awareness and I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to market myself as that. I always recommend for people to um, work with a therapist if they've gone through trauma But if you are in a position where you feel like you're blocked and you have no idea what you want to do with your career, then it is very beneficial to try to look back and see why that's the case. And this is why I give people an exercise called Chunks of 10, where they journal all the moments that brought them happiness in their childhood, or even moments that were impactful or moments that were even tough. A lot of my clients share with me when they're journaling exercise and we go through it and I'm able to help them connect the dots to help them understand where they are blocked and why they're so terrified, where that imposter is coming from. You know, I've had clients, for example, who have gone through so many toxic situations and they get confused as to whether it is the toxic situation in the company or whether it is the field altogether. Mm-hmm. And so being aware of that instead of just jumping in and applying for jobs is a very important thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it'll also help us with our leadership skills because now if we are, for example, in meetings where we constantly feel like we're not being heard, where we, we're shying away with difficult conversations with our boss, We need to try to understand where that resistance and fear is coming from. And when we do, you know, that is definitely going to help us achieve career success. Mm -hmm. And lastly, what I wanted to say, it's also important to find a coach that can relate to you, that has gone through a similar journey, that has, that is on the other side, because you are going to want to open up to the person. 
This is why I share my story because I want to be able to make it safe for people to reach out to me and decide if my coaching style is the right coaching style for them. If you end up working with a coach who ends up looking down on you for what you've been through, that can actually cause more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully this episode has helped people in terms of the awareness step of realizing that there are things that block us in our subconscious and where they come from. And in the next episodes, we're also going to talk about the second part of my story of why I quit over text and how did I decide to get into what I do today. I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to that. Yeah. It, I just think that your story is such an inspiration for a lot of people who are just too afraid to make that next step in their life. But if they don't, they're going to have all this untapped potential, you know, and, and here you're living proof that you can make that leap and, and survive and thrive. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Layla, for facilitating this conversation. Thank you so much, you know, thank everyone you. for tuning in and listening to this. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions through LinkedIn, through DM. Um, I also have a Facebook group that you can join because I'm a big fan of creating communities and, and safe spaces for people who can relate to each other. I have an agile and product Facebook group. So DM me as well if you'd like to join it. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I hope you have a fabulous rest of your work day. It's the success. Not only to think, but to act outside of the box. You need a coach to help guide you on what your sweet spot is. What you do works, period. 